If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy, we've made it all the way through. We're in the last chapter. We're in uh, chapter 6 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first couple of verses. We're also going to be looking at what Paul says about this topic in the book of Ephesians. So you may want to mark that as well. Let me start with a question. What does Labor Day weekend mean to you? Uh, What does this weekend mean to you? Uh, Maybe something about your past. But I know for me, when I think about Labor Day weekend, growing up in, in upstate New York, Labor Day weekend meant the end of summer. It meant the reality that this was kind of it, the last hurrah before you had to go back to school. Uh, for those of us who grew up and not here in Florida, I know we start earlier here in Florida. But in that area, it was after the Labor Day weekend. But it was more than just the start of school and the end of summer. It was, it was so, and, and my childhood, it was such a, a poignant reminder that things were over. My family had a very small little rustic cottage on one of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York, an incredible place to spend summers. Uh, We would have a dock and a boat that we could enjoy through the summer months. But during Labor Day weekend back then, everybody was taking in their docks. Everybody was putting in their boats because places like that, it freezes over, right? You don't leave them in. And it was just kind of a, a reminder. And then all your, your friends that you hung out with in the summertime, it was saying goodbye. In many ways, you wouldn't see them again until next summer. And so, uh, wow, Labor Day was, was poignant. I thought about that. It was like my memories came flooding back to me of what it was like uh, for Labor Day weekend. Well, now Labor Day, really for most people, it means, well, you got an extra day off, right? You're off on Monday. Are you excited about that reality? But I got to tell you the truth is a pastor who takes Mondays off. I can't stand Monday holidays because you all are crowding out my day off. You know, usually on Mondays, it's great. No one's around. Everybody's working. I love Mondays. People sing that Mondays aren't good. I love them. I'm off. And uh, but now tomorrow, you're all going to crowd my, my Labor Day. What are y'all doing? <laughs> but it'll be great. But you know what? The first Labor Day, the first Labor Day was actually celebrated on a Tuesday. Uh, It was Tuesday, September 5th, uh, same day as today, but way back in 1882, guess what city was the first one to celebrate it? Anybody want to guess? The city that never sleeps, New York City, in accordance with the plans of the Central Labor Union. So that was back in 1882 on today, Uh, and then it would be two more years in 1894, Labor Day finally became this like national holiday. So why did it come about? Well, they wanted to celebrate the American laborer. But listen, way back then, work conditions were brutal. On the first uh, Labor Day, there was a lot of reasons why you should stop and and have a little bit of rest. Because the American workforce had transitioned from one of agriculture to one of industry. Uh, And industry didn't have the rules in place to kind of monitor things. So most work weeks, right, you're complaining about your work week, most work weeks were 12-hour days, uh, six to seven days a week. Are you kidding me? No uh, child labor laws. Uh, Children as young as five were making their way into the workforce. Many didn't have access to clean, fresh air or clean, fresh bathrooms. And back then, uh, labor unions were created to fight to stand up, to say, no, no, there's got to be better conditions. And thus, Labor Day was birthed. Well, isn't that amazing? That's where it came from. And you think of where we are today. Labor Day to us is quite different 
than Labor Day was for those who first enjoyed it. It meant something completely different for them than it does for us. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is going to be writing to Timothy, who at the time was in a place called Ephesus. And the work conditions in Ephesus back then, they were quite different than they are today than what we face today. Uh, work dynamics included slavery, uh, something that was very prevalent in that society. During uh, the Roman Empire, at the time that this was written, there were probably like 50 million slaves at the time. Cities like Rome or Ephesus, probably one-third of the population were actually slaves. And as he wrote a letter um, to Timothy, uh, and he's saying, hey, here's how the, you're supposed to respond to the church. Many in the church would be slaves, and many in the church would be slave owners. As a matter of fact, there would be some free men and women who didn't own slaves, and the, probably the only free people who didn't own slaves, watch this, were the poor. Everybody else seems to have it. Well, there's a lot of differences in that. We're going to unpack what that meant to them, because I guarantee you when I talk about slavery, it evokes feelings in you, probably properly so, maybe even some, some antacid in your stomach, uh, and you want to say, well, how in the world can the Bible deal with something like slavery? How does it? We're going to unpack that. Again, this morning, believe it or not, is, is part 14, as we've navigated our way through 1 Timothy, uh, entitled, uh, a sermon entitled, or the whole series, For the Flourishing of the Household of God. That's who we are, the Church of the Living God. And it's amazing because all 66 books of the Bible tell us of this great God, but of all the 66 books, 1 Timothy is like an owner's manual. It's like an owner's manual for the church. It's so important for us to get it, to know it, uh, especially as a younger church, to make sure we're building on solid foundations. Really, for the church to be properly run, this is Christ's church. Uh, this is his, so we got to follow the rules. So for it to be properly run, we need to have a book like this. But not just for the church but for the world to be thoroughly one. We're here on mission. We are here for God's glory and the good of our neighbor. For the world to be one, we've got to make sure, W-O-N, we've got to make sure that we listen to this as well. We've looked at a lot of different dynamics. The last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the uh, dynamics with church, church dynamics. Uh, we've looked at how we need to honor some of the widows. We've looked at pastoral dynamics. And this morning on Labor Day, in God's good providence, we're going to be talking about work dynamics. But again, we're going to be looking at it from God's perspective. Quite different than the American work ethic. Quite different than maybe different things that you know of. This is God's word and what he tells us specifically about work dynamics. So we're going to be looking at three things. and It's, it's almost going to feel a little bit like two parts to the sermon. One of the first things we're going to look at is unlocking slavery in the Roman Empire. Unlocking the yoke of slavery. What, what does that actually mean? I mean, when we read the Bible and it talks about slaves, how do we relate to that? So the first thing we got to do is unlock that a little bit to so give us a little bit of a better understanding of what was happening. And then secondly, we got to see God's call to honor your boss. And we're going to find out which bosses we should honor and which ones we shouldn't. And then it's to be, and lastly, we got to see that we are all honored to serve. So we've made our way to chapter 6. We're in 1 Timothy. We've looked at each verse. We've made it to chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. 
Um, but remember, Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy in a church called Ephesus. That's where he was at the time. So we're going to read these two verses, but we're also going to look to Ephesians chapter 6 uh, and 5 through 8, because it's going to tell us a little bit more of the dynamic uh, of a relationship with, with slaves and masters, so we can hear a little bit more of the full story. Remember, the Bible is one beautiful story. And when we try to understand Scripture, we should have Scripture interpret Scripture to get a bigger story. So let's hear the word of the Lord. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1 and 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants or slaves regard their own masters of worthy, as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have a believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must rather they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Let's hear more what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians six, verses five and following. Bond servants or slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with, with a good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on Paul's pen as he addressed a young what he would call a, a son in the faith of his, Timothy. But God, because you breathed these words into Paul, these words were more than just for Timothy in the church of Ephesus. These words are for us. They're living and active. But God, these words seem archaic. These words seem inflammatory. These words are not culturally sensitive. So God, we need to understand from your perspective, what your word is telling us. So God, we ask that you would do that which only you can do, that you would speak through a broken sinner like me. That God, you give us ears to hear your voice and you give us minds to understand this text and this word. That God, you give us hearts that would embrace your truth and you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are just my opinion are wrong. May those things quickly fall away and be forgotten. But God, what is said that is true and that contains the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. All right, the first thing we got to do with this text is we got to unlock this yoke of slavery. It's called, even in verse 1, it talks about those who are under the yoke. And let's talk a little bit about slavery in the Roman Empire, different than what we can think of. This was not based on race. 
This slavery was not based on someone's skin color. Uh, this slavery was a result of economics or maybe a political conquest. So it wasn't, you know, those who have a certain color skin uh, that were more susceptible for this. As I mentioned, uh, this was very predominant in the Roman Empire, probably something like 50 million uh, folks who do those kind of studying who say. And about 30% of the population in places like Rome and in places like Ephesus that had a, a, a major Roman influence would be actual slaves. The real difference as well is that freedom was possible. You know, when we think of the atrocity of our slavery with the African slave market, uh, freedom was not uh, often anything accessible. But now in this time, especially in an economic condition, you could work your way toward freedom. Interestingly, many slaves owned slaves. Uh, and many in the church were actual slave owners. As a matter of fact, there's a small little book in the Bible called Philemon. It only has one chapter. It's a little letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And he was sending back to Philemon uh, one of his slaves. As a matter of fact, Philemon, he had a church in his home. Uh, he was a slave owner. And here you have in Scripture one of the books written to a slave owner at the time. Completely different. I know, let me hit pause, and I'm going to venture a little bit into some deep waters, and I hope uh, God help me with this. But we live in a time and age where we try to judge the, the, our history and our past through the lens of our present. It's good, but it's also dangerous. When we look at the fact that what was happening in Ephesus was quite different than what was happening in, in our country in the early years, um, I think that many might say, if they look at this, say, well, let's tear out the book of Philemon. That guy was a slave owner. Let's tear it down. How can we have God's word have somebody who is a slave owner? I think that we got to let all of Scripture speak for itself, uh, realize that this is truth, that God is revealing himself to us through broken people, redeemed people like Philemon, like Timothy, like Paul, like myself. Um, and this is just a reality uh, in their time. Again, he was a beloved, this is a Philemon, beloved brother in Christ Jesus, um, yet a slave owner. So that's a little bit of the slavery in the Roman Empire, different than what you think of in our, uh, our day and age, or, or I should say in America's history. Uh, but let's look at Paul's view of slavery. How did Paul view slavery? It's very important. It seems like he's given us instructions to deal with it, but why isn't he hitting it straight on? Why, why is he just saying this is such an evil how can this stand? Well, he did deal with it. The first of all, we got to see that Paul viewed slavery as an evil. If you look at 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10, specifically in 10, it's going to address the evil sin of those who were enslavers, those who enslaved others. It was a sin. Uh, he put them together. Hey, this, this was a sin that was plaguing as, as well as many other sins that he lists in verses 9 and 10 that was plaguing the church of Ephesus. Uh, he would say this in verse 10, the sexual immoral, men, of, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So we know for Paul what is contrary to sound doctrine, it's so important to Paul, sound doctrine is so important, was slavery. But he also says this to slaves, hey, listen, Obtain your freedom if you're able to. It's good. If you're able to be free, he would encourage people to do that. 
listen to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 21 through 22. Hear Paul's words. Were you a bondservant or a slave when you were called, called to Christ? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. If you can get it, do it. If you can become free. But listen to verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So Paul is saying there's something bigger that's going on. There's something bigger than your earthly status. There's a freedom in Christ, and there's a bondage in Christ that is more important. But he also will say this. This is really the, probably the most significant, the linchpin that will undo slavery. Paul will remind us that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen to these beautiful words. Lean into them if you are a follower of Christ, because this is what it will say in verse uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus, if you have a relationship with him by God's grace through faith, in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. Sons and daughters, yes, but in this New Testament setting, a son gets all the blessings and all the benefits. That's true for male and female. So in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God by God's grace through faith, not by baptism, not by church membership, not by religion. We are by beloved children of God, by God's grace, by believing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. For as many of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we are beloved and the playing field is equal. And we are all his in Christ Jesus. That's the, the linchpin that will eventually be used to, to take down slavery. That way, there's a oneness in Christ. But we also got to realize that Paul and Timothy both saw themselves as servants or slaves of Christ. Philippians 1.1, he'll start his letter by saying, Paul and Timothy, bondservants, servants of Christ Jesus. That's how he viewed it. Okay, so we got a little bit of understanding of unlocking this yoke of slavery. When we think of it, what was it like in the Roman Empire? What was Paul's overarching view? And by the way, Paul and Timothy themselves viewed themselves as slaves of Christ. But you read this passage, and it says this, honor your boss. First thing we see of honor your boss, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So let me tell you what, what, what God's word says in 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, slaves, be subject to your master with all respect. Now watch this. It's kind of hard to hear, but God's word. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Whoa, wait a minute. You're to honor those who deserve it and honor those who don't. We know that some bosses are better than others. Some deserve our respect by the way they treat us, by the way they treat others. And quite frankly, some don't. But God's word is going to say for Christians, listen, we're to honor our bosses, those who are awesome and those who are jerks. Huh. How in the world can that be? You should ask the question, why? Why would God ask me to honor somebody who doesn't deserve it in our own view? Well, I think, again, we got to look at all Scripture. 
What does all of Scripture tell us? It's very important. Romans 13. There's no authority that's established that hasn't been established by God. I imagine when we get to heaven and have eternity, we can ask him all kinds of questions. Why in the world did you get that boss over me? Why in the world did this happen in the world? Why did you let this power rise to power? Why did you let this happen? There's a mystery. I don't know all of it. But if we understand God's word, he will say that his hand is involved in all decisions, including who's your boss and where you are. So see him in that. You see, there's something bigger than your relationship with your boss. There's a bigger story. Hit pause. That's such a point of Christianity. That God has us in a bigger story than your story and mine. That we are a part of his story. When we narrowly focus on our little lives and our little stories and our little relationships with the boss, which, by the way, he cares about all of them, we miss the bigger story. And he's basically saying to us, don't miss the bigger story. God is working. So honor your boss, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and honor your undercover boss. Especially Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. You know the TV show, Undercover Boss, right? Pretty interesting premise that the boss goes in but the disguise to go see what it's really like in the workforce. Uh, he's going to try to cloak himself uh, to look like everybody else so no one knows that he really is the boss. Uh, you're working for this undercover boss. Well, interestingly, that's what chronic scripture is. Our undercover boss, the one we're ultimately working for, is not our earthly boss. Ultimately, we are working for Christ Jesus our heavenly boss. Uh, verse 1, again, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, he says for us, so that why? Listen, honor them. And here's this Greek word, hina, in order that, do this honoring, why? In order that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. The name of God will not be reviled. Isn't it interesting how God has linked his name to our relationship with our, and work dynamics? Let me read to you again uh, Ephesians 6, 5 and 6. Servants, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, that he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or free. Paul will also write to the church in, in Colossae. He will say very similar things. Listen to this. Emphasizing God's word. God's word that repeats things, it's important. Bondservants. This is Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And I bet you many of you know this passage. What does Colossians 3.23 say? I bet you many of you know it. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Who's your boss? Who's your undercover boss? Who are you doing it for? It's for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. One true and ultimate boss is for each one of us. It's Christ Jesus. We are serving him. And Jesus is 100% worthy of our honor 100% of the time. When he tells you to honor a knucklehead boss, 
you got to see beyond the knucklehead. you got to see the hand of God and say that God's called you to something bigger, something hard, but something bigger. That undercover boss that we all serve is Christ Jesus, our Lord. But why not only that, not only do we got to honor the undercover boss, but we need to adorn the gospel, the way we work. We are his ambassadors in the workforce. <laughs> I want to plead this with you for those of you who are in the workforce or even at home in your neighborhoods. Adorn the gospel. What you do matters. Honor your boss, it says, so that the name of God and the teaching will not be reviled. Right out of college, I, I went into the workforce, and I'm really glad that I had the privilege of being in the workforce. I love the fact I'm a pastor that didn't start off as a pastor, that I sat where you sit, and I had to learn a living outside of the ministry. And for me, it started in Midtown Manhattan in New York City, an up upstate New York boy who went to school at Florida Southern, who lands a job in Midtown Manhattan. Man, talk about a fish out of water. But was it exciting as Katie and I were newly married and, and I started that, that workforce there. And then eventually when we uh, expected our first child, Jesse, we moved back to the Florida area, the central Florida area where Katie's from to raise our family. Because isn't this a great place to raise family? Uh, this is amazing. And so eventually I, I, I landed a job as a sales representative for a, a payroll company by the name of Paychecks. I loved it. I believed in the product. I loved my boss. He was easy to honor. I loved him. Um, I loved the product. I believed in it. And for me, I got to believe in what I'm selling. And man, I, I really believed in it. Thought it was fair and good. But you know what? It was still the world. And it still had to deal with uh, uh, broken people. I had to deal with people that would try to cheat and steal, even within your own company. Try to steal leads. Have you been there? Try to steal accounts. Have you been there? Have you been there and realizing that there's favoritism going on and that if you tip off the uh, uh, receptionist, the lead might go their way instead of my way? Uh, and I remember being frustrated by the fact that I, I felt like I was being um, sinned against. I felt like there was clearly some things that were not going my way, and I was angry. And God, in his grace, reminded me that he placed me there not just for me to earn a paycheck and provide for my family. He placed me there as an ambassador. That he gave me a sales territory to represent Jesus. And it wasn't about the bottom line of sales. It was the bottom line of representing Christ, my Savior. And all of a sudden, when you went into a place and you realized, I got to find a decision maker and I got to get in front of the decision maker and I got to sell them, close, 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 close to make sure you meet your quotas, it wasn't my greatest desire anymore. It was maybe God is sending me into this office to have an interaction with a receptionist. Maybe someone needs to know about Jesus. Maybe there's just some, and listen, I didn't go in there overtly with my Bible in my back pocket and hammer over the head, but I had a different perspective, that I was there for him. And do you know what happened to me? My life changed. I didn't wake up and just figure the grind. I woke up with more joy. Not all the time. There's still a grind. But there was something different perspective. Let me encourage you. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. If you see the reality of what God has given you as a gift from him to shine for him, that means that you have, you have a blessing. Listen to what Paul says to Titus, another pastoral epistle. Titus 2, verses 9 and 10. Bond servants or servants 
are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. We're getting this point, aren't we? They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. This will tell you how to work. Um, not pilfering, quit stealing, um, but showing good faith so that in everything that they, why, why? So that in order that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. It's beautiful. The way you work, bring beauty to the gospel. The way you show integrity, the way you honor others, the way you love, the way you put people over the product, the way you interact, it adorns the gospel. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're the aroma of Christ by what you do. Um, adorn the gospel. And then he's going to say, not only that, double honor to the bosses that are brothers and sisters. If you have a believing brother or sister as a boss, uh, praise God for that, but don't take advantage of that. Don't think just because you're connected in Christ Jesus and one in Christ Jesus, you don't owe them honor and respect. You do. And you should double down on that. If God's blessed you with a, with a believer, um, again, by the way, don't argue with them about differences, maybe doctrinally at that point, but honor them. And just realize as you honor them, you're blessing the kingdom because you're blessing a brother and sister. He is your brother and sister. Make sure you honor them. And then lastly, we are honored to serve. Christians, all of Christians, we are all called to be servants. There's no one here who is a child of God who isn't called to be a servant. Uh, Jesus will be our example, as always. John 13, 14, let's go to the upper room where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet right before he's going to give his life to rescue them. John 13, 14, if then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Serving as Christ Jesus served, we should serve one another. Menial task, washing each other's feet. Not only was Jesus our example, but watch this. This is crazy good. Jesus is our servant. He's our servant. What does that mean? He, he literally served us as if we're the master. Now, he's always the master. But listen to these words in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 10, verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be a servant. you got to be a slave. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man, this is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. To be a servant, to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Christ Jesus, our Lord, came to serve. He served the Father, ultimately, but he did so by serving us, by washing our feet. Oh, wait a minute, I wasn't there in the upper room. He washed your feet. How did he do that? He lived the life you and I failed to live. He fulfilled the Father's requirement. How did he serve us? He died the death. He experienced hell on the cross when his Father poured out his wrath because of our sin on the cross. He served us. He served us through an empty tomb, knowing that our sins are forgiven and life now reigns in Christ Jesus. Jesus came to serve. He came to serve to set us free. And not only that, he's come to set us free, but watch this. He came to free us to serve. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5, 1 and 13. He says this, For freedom... 
Christ has set us free. We Americans love freedom, don't we? I mean, this is something we cherish about our country. For freedom, Christ has set us free, different than political freedom. This is ultimate freedom. But stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For in verse 13, okay, freedom, don't, don't be yoked with slavery, but look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's the gospel. Christ Jesus has set you free. He set you free to do that which he's created you to do, serve, and serve one another. Listen, don't use your freedom for you. Don't use your freedom as an indulgent of your flesh. Use your freedom in Christ Jesus, the life we have in Christ Jesus now, to become more like Christ and serve one another. And serve one another and bring him honor and glory. Why? For the sake of the gospel, serve all. Paul will say this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. He says, for though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all. This is Paul, that I might win more of them. I'm going to serve you so they know Jesus to the Jew, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became one as under the law, though not, my, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that I by all means might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul will say, I'll do anything I can to serve you. You want me to wash your feet? You want me to have a meal with you? You want me to figure out your life? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take any distinction between Republican and Democrat. I'm going to take any distinction between vaccinated and unvaccinated. I'm going to take any distinction between, you know, where you are and what you believe in. And I'm going to become whatever I got to become. Why? Because I want you to know not just my position on things. I want you to know my Savior. I want you to know the love of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to be set free. I want you to know Jesus. So I'm going to serve you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to, I'm going to take my rights. I'm going to set them aside. I'm going to become like Christ. I'm going to take my opinion. I'm going to say it's not most important. And what's going to be most important to me is going to be the kingdom of God. We're going to seek that first. And I'm going to become all things I can. Why? So that other people will know the incredible grace of God in Christ Jesus. They too might know Jesus. They would cry out and say, he loves a sinner like me. That's what Paul would do. I mean, he was on a mission because he came face to face with Jesus. And what was most important to him was Jesus. And to do that, I'll serve others. You see, we are called to serve. Ultimately, serve Jesus. Let me tell you, as a young church, now there's lots of opportunities to serve the church. We just sent out an email about ministry teams. Sign up. I mean, it's Memorial, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend. No, it's not. It's Labor Day weekend. Air conditioner's not working. Doesn't it feel good in here? Welcome to the weight loss program. Uh, the things aren't working. You know, it was like, you know, but everything could go wrong, could go wrong today. Uh, you know, we have guest bags. We don't have the things to put in the guest bags. I mean, it's, it's like, hey, thanks for coming. Lives and say there's opportunities to serve the church. We need you. Um, don't look behind the curtain. It's a mess back there. But not only to serve the bride of Christ, but also to serve the community. We are the church in the world. Let's serve our neighbors. God has created us and redeemed us to serve. And he's given us a meal to remind us 
remind us that Christ came to serve us. He gives us a meal that reminds us tangibly that we are called and empowered to serve. Are you a believer in Christ Jesus? I hope so. Then you're a servant to Christ. Honor those around you. Love one another. Honor your bosses. Honoring Jesus. Work in a way that adorns the gospel. We are his ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us in the way we live our lives. He chose knuckleheads to tell about the good news of Christ. You and me. What a joy to serve. Let us pray. Father God, we're so grateful that you would love us enough and, and that you would send Jesus to come and to seek and to save the lost by becoming a servant, by emptying himself of everything but love, by, by, being, form, by being found in the form of a man, more than that, by being found as a, as a servant and obedient to you, even to the point of death and death on the cross. Clearly, that's the reason that you gave Jesus the name above every name. Jesus, you are our example. You washed our feet. Uh, Jesus, you're more than our example. You served us to give us life, to free us, to serve one another. Forgive us for how we feel like the world is here for ourselves, to, to serve us. But God, give us this incredible perspective of the kingdom and the gospel that we find joy in serving you as we serve others. Because we will be more like Jesus. Oh God, feed us, your people, through this meal. Remind us of the sacrifice that your son made so that we could not only be servants, but we could be sons and daughters of you. We pray in Christ's name, amen.